It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the game Euro 22. We will be looking ahead to the Women's European Championship, which is here on home soil this year. So much to look forward to. Uh, We'll be joined by the former England captain, Casey Stoner, who will run the rule over England's chances. We'll take a look at Lauren Hemp, Frank Kirby, and what should be done about Leah Williamson, as well as looking at some of the other favourites for the tournament, the likes of the Netherlands and Spain. Uh, All that and more over the next 50 or so minutes here on the game. Hello, I'm Hugh Wozencroft and welcome to the game Euro 22. Uh, We will be keeping a close eye on all the great games, the goals, the sights, the sounds, the weirdness and the wackiness throughout Euro 2022, of course, being hosted in our very own nation of England around Brighton, Rotherham, Milton Keynes, Southampton and Lee, but also cities you'd expect like Manchester and London. The final is at Wembley on the 31st of July, quite wonderfully, the only match at the National Stadium as well. It kicks off with England against Austria on Wednesday evening at Old Trafford. And today we'll be casting an eye over some of the runners and riders for the competition. We'll pick out some dark horses and players to keep an eye out for as well. I'm delighted to say that joining the Times throughout the tournament, both in print and here on the game, is the former England captain Casey Stoney, now with San Diego Wave, who joins us from the other side of the Atlantic. Hi, Casey. Hi, how are you? Very well. And here inside the studio, alongside me, the Times, Molly Hudson and Gregor Robertson. You okay, guys? Yes. How are you? Yeah, Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm looking forward to this competition because I think the timing is so important. We've spoken for how many years? is about how women's football is growing and the different things that football as a sport can do to grab on to the initiative that's been building and building through some great performances in various tournaments from England also the growth of the WSL as well and that's why I think I'm excited about the timing here because it feels like we're reaching a crescendo and the fact that this tournament is being played in England on top of all of it not just the timing of the competition but the location I think that's going to be massively important Casey how do you see it? I think it's the most exciting in time that we've ever seen in England in women's football you know I think it's the biggest opportunity to win a tournament at home uh, with an experienced manager and a, a very good squad so I, I am so excited I think it's an opportunity to change the game I really do and I th- I'm, I'm sure those players see it that way What's your hope Molly for the impact of this tournament as a whole? I think you're spot on with the with the timing of it. I think obviously we've we've had a year's delay because of everything else getting a year's delay in the end, but I think it's really helped that there's not that much else going on this summer, which means that I think even if you're not 
huge fan of women's football normally. I think it's going to attract a lot of people that, you know, might not see too much of these players on a week-to-week basis. And I think that's really what we can see now because the product is so good, you know, for those of us that have been in the women's game for, for several years, the way it's transformed in sort of the last five, ten years is, you know, it's literally night and day just with the amount of professionalism and everything else. So I think now the product is so good that that will now have such a big impact when people watch that for the first time. And the fact that it's going to be on, you know, the BBC, it's going to be free to air, you know, millions are going to watch this. And I think, as Casey said, we, we have a good team, we have a good manager. And I think now is the time to capitalise on that and you know I'm sure it's not the last time we'll say it on this podcast but it does feel a bit like we're not just playing to win the trophy we're we're playing to really push push the game forward and and give it the biggest stage it possibly can this summer yeah and it's interesting you make the point about the, the biggest stage Gregor because it's all about the broadcasters the newspapers not just that all of the, the brands and companies out there getting around women's football to show support during this summer in particular and paying fans half a million things it's been sold already that feels you know that's that's double uh, the number that was that were that, were, that viewed uh, the tournament in, in Holland in 2017 so yeah it feels like a, as you said a kind of a tipping point and this has been said before it has been said before and there have been kind of steady incremental steps but it does feel like there's huge potential for, for England this uh, this summer and it's it's hugely exciting yeah, it is. And uh, we're going to talk about England a little bit later on in more detail when it comes to, to this year's team and, and some of the big names and and big nations that will be taking part and trying to lift that trophy at the end of the month. But Casey, we want to reflect on some of your experiences with England before we get there. And in particular, you went to several major tournaments, of course. You reached a final in this competition as well. I wanted to know about the build-up for a player as you reach this major tournament. What What is it like in terms of nerves, but also physical preparation too? Well, it certainly would have changed since I was prepping for 2005, 2007, 2013, because I had a job whilst I was preparing for all of them. So I had a full-time job and was getting up at kind of half four or five in the morning and training before I went to a full day's work. So I think now that they are professional and there's no coincidence, the level has changed during that time. Um, if you give people the opportunity to do it full-time, you know, they would have been prepping in terms of being at St George's Park for many weeks, um, which they've had, you know, good, good, decent opposition to play as well in terms of the lead up to this. So, you know, players will be going into this. They will be waiting for that first game now. You know, they can't wait to get that first game under their belt because it feels like a long build up when you're in it. Um, they've obviously had one eye on it now for for a couple of years as well. So because it's been delayed, you know, and actually you talk about timing. Some people might not have been in this squad last year that are in this squad this year because of their form. So, you know, some people might have missed out. Some people have got in, you know, because of that delay. And I think we've got a, an excellent squad. Um, so, yeah, the build-up is, is huge in terms of cohesion togetherness, building partnerships on the pitch. It's huge for the manager to know really ideally kind of what her strongest starting 11 is and put them out there. Um, there'll be nerves. Of course there will. Many of these players won't have played in front of a crowd. They're going to play at Old Trafford on an occasion like this, you know, with such a, like you say, a huge responsibility they will feel as well. And, you know, I hope they see it as an opportunity, but yeah, they'll be excited. They'll want to get this first game out of the way. They'll want to get a win and start strong, uh, but they're going into it off great form. So yeah, I think they'll be confident. You reached that final back in, in 2009. Can you tell us about the squad, the strength of the squad? What took you guys so far in the competition? 
Probably a little bit of luck. I got sent off in the opening game actually against Italy and we lost. We ended up coming third in the group, which actually, believe it or not, gave us a slightly better draw. We played Holland in the semi-final, the Netherlands, and and kind of it went to extra time. They sat, they were a very different team then. They sat in a low block, really hard to break down. But we had we had reasonable experience on the pitch. We had quite a lot of caps by then and people that had been to major tournaments in 2005, 2007. And, you know, we, we kind of just took every game as it come and we knew that we'd have to, to try and get results. And we weren't bad at keeping clean sheets then. And I do think clean sheets are so important. You look at the Olympics in Canada and what they did in terms of clean sheets, they ended up winning it, you know, albeit not scoring many goals. So clean sheets are going to be important in tournaments and defences are really important in major tournaments. So, yeah, it's... It, we, we Listen, we did well to get there. We we, we probably were too, sh- too short in terms of squad depth when we actually came up against Germany because... We relied so heavily on Kelly Smith in attacking areas to to get us firing and get us going, and we conceded you know, conceded sloppy goals in that game that put us out of the game. But I remember playing against Birgit Prince and Ariana Grings in that team, and Germany played four four two. And I've probably not played against a better strike pairing in them two in terms of the way they played. And they were unbelievable. And Germany were unreal in those days. I think they were seven back to back European championships. So to even experience that was was good. But I remember coming off and getting the silver medal and being like, that's not good enough. We want gold. And I never achieved it. You know, never got to achieve that. But these players have got a real opportunity now. We talked a little bit earlier about the kind of impact that this tournament can have. Did did you feel a, an impact after that tournament? And I know we spoke for a, for an interview that's that's coming out on Wednesday about kind of London 2012 and and playing in that Team GB. I wonder how much it feels like there is a implications of how well the team do when it comes to after the tournament. Yeah, I have to say 2009, no. Um, it was in Finland. Crowds weren't great. I think we probably had two sentences that we got to a final in the newspaper the next day. 2012 was the shift point for me. Like you talk about eyes on it, global platform, BBC coverage, people balloting for tickets, maybe got women's football had never seen the game before. So that changed the conversation, that changed the narrative. Had we have done well then, I think you could have seen the sea change a lot quicker. Um, obviously we got knocked out in the quarterfinals, but I definitely saw a shift. That was the biggest shift for me was 2012 when it was on a global platform. I think this being on the BBC, free access to all to watch. I think the fact that it's in England, um, we've, you know, not, you know, Canada was a great change, but some of the games were like 12 o'clock, one o'clock in the morning this is prime time in the country and we you know we have a a responsibility to make sure that we capitalize off the back of it that's the key part is making sure that whatever happens in the tournament if England are successful that the governing body the FA the clubs capitalize off the back of the tournament and they make sure that those fans keep returning and that they turn them into WSL fans not just England fans what about pressure in an England shirt, Casey, because it's often said, and I'm sure Gregor will agree with me, that there's a a sense of English entitlement when it comes to major tournaments. Does that add pressure? Because, no, it's it's true, though, isn't it? I mean, we're already talking about, you know, how well does the team need to do to grab onto the impact of the tournament? You know, we're sitting here basically saying, do they have to go and win it? Do they have to get to a semi-final or a final for this tournament to have impact? Which is an incredible pressure for the players to be under. Did you feel that in, what, your 130 caps with England I never viewed it as pressure I always viewed it as an opportunity and I I was always so disappointed when we didn't you know get to finals because I felt a, a huge debt of responsibility to the game to change it but I think the biggest pressure is the pressure you put on yourself to perform as a player 
Um, I think you don't go into a game thinking about, you know, the impact it can have. I think it's when you finish a tournament and you haven't either, you know, won it or got to a final that you really realise we missed it. We missed an opportunity here. You go in knowing it's an opportunity, but when you're in it, you're just thinking about how I can perform for the team. How can we get to the next game and, you know, get maximum points in the group? How can we, you know, win that, that knockout game? And we kind of had a bit of a hoodoo in major tournaments where we struggle to win knockout games. Now that's gone. You know, the team's won knockout games. They've progressed through tournaments and it just feels, it feels like a, a huge opportunity. I think we've got the right manager who's done it before in a home nation. We've got a really team with you know, a bit of experience and I'd say arguably we've been into major tournaments with way more experience in terms of caps, but there's a lot of exciting young players in that team that maybe are slightly more fearless that will go into that and, and you know, have a go. So, yeah, it's take, I think it's the manager's job to take the pressure off and get them to see it as an opportunity and just focus on each game. I know it's cliche, but it is literally one game at a time. And, yeah, we can talk about the winning the tournament. And there should be, I think there should be a, a belief, not an expectation, that's different, a belief that they can do well in this tournament. And you've seen both sides of it from, from the manager's side and the player's side. Is there really any difference in the way you build into a game like this whether it's from you know players or managers perspective do, do you approach it any differently is it really that old cliche of it's just another game or when it is this big is there things you have to do differently I think when it's this big my I can't speak for Serena I can only speak for myself I would be trying to take the pressure off the players a little bit because they will be feeling it you've got to think the, these players might not have played in these types of crowds in this situation and you know they'll want to perform so it's it's making it really clear and concise in terms of your game plan. So they've got minimal to think about that they can go in and just perform, that they see it as an opportunity to express themselves and have fun and entertain and try and take the pressure off a little bit. I, I would be doing as a manager because, you know, it's, it's important they go out and, and play a little bit freer and express themselves. They've got a group, I believe, that they should believe, be believing they should win, albeit, you know, Norway are a good side and Austria can cause problems. And they've played they've played Austria and Northern Ireland. That's a bonus for them too. They already kind of know that that's a competitive advantage for them. But yeah, I'd be definitely taking the pressure off a little bit rather than heaping it on um, and asking them to play a little bit free so that they can, you know, open up in games a little bit more and not, necessarily leave it to, to the second half to win games. Okay, let's delve into England in a little bit more detail. I think before we, we come to the football, we should talk about Serena Wiegmann, who won this tournament four years ago uh, with her native Netherlands. Uh, her personality, Casey saying she would take the pressure off Molly. In your experience of Serena Wiegmann, do you think she's she's in the, the, the pool hall at the moment with the players, just relaxing? I mean, what sort of person is she? <laughs> I think... She is quite relaxed. I think what we knew from the very first camp pretty much with the Lionesses is there's this almost aura about her. And I don't know if it's literally just because everyone, whether it's the players, you know, whether it's us as journalists to some extent, you look at her and you think she's done it, you know, she's done it all before. And I think it almost brings a level of calm and a level of respect that, not that obviously you have to earn that as a manager coming into a group of players, but it's like well she's done she knows how to do it already and that's exactly what we want to do so I think you know she's not the loudest person in the world but she commands a lot of respect she's ruthless I mean that's probably the word you'll hear the most come up when when talked about Serena this tournament 
we've already seen that with kind of Steph being omitted from the squad and the whole kind of drama that went around with that her believing that she wasn't fit enough Steph believing that she was Serena just being very straight down the road you know it was her decision and, and she made it quite early and obviously she she made Leah captain quite early as well I think the big decisions she's had to make so far she's made she's made them early she's made them clear and I think that can only be a good thing for the players and I think we were we were speaking to Millie Bright the other day and she was say, saying that Serena's almost taken a lot of emotion out of it she's very honest with the players in terms of reflecting on what they can do what they can do better you know having really open discussions within the group and she's managed to do it in a way where you know nobody can take offense at it no nobody can be you know scared about doing that she's really taken the emotion out of it and I think that can be quite difficult in a group especially when it's you know there are young players in that group you know it's a new manager a new coaching team to to kind of have that openness and honesty she's really feels like she's made that quite soon because you know she's she's relatively new to this job we have to remember in terms of an international manager she only came in in September Mm. so I think she's made a really good impact and obviously what we've seen on the pitch you know 14 games 12 wins, two draws, goal difference of 81. I mean, there's not too much more she she could have done um, so far. What do you make of her leadership? I know it's from a distance, Casey. Yeah, obviously, when I was at Manchester United, I had a couple of, I had a couple of players that were in there um, and they're, they're, they were saying, like, she's just very direct. You know, what what she says she does, she doesn't beat around the bush. You know how where you stand. It's very black and white. Um, I heard about how they found out they were in the squad that was brutal in terms of some sitting in a room and waiting to go in and almost X-Factor-esque of like you're in, you're out. And, you know, we never had that. It was always very much you found out in your own space at home where you could deal with it um, when I was playing, which was I think was difficult for some players. But I think she's made the big decisions and I think she's made the right big decisions. Steph Houghton hasn't barely kicked a ball all season, so you can't carry players going into a major tournament. We've done it in the past and you need your squad depth. You need players that can, you know, add value in moments. And I think she's, you know, it's always difficult to miss out massively as, as a player. It's difficult to lose a captaincy. I lost one, you know, to Steph myself. So, you know, it's you and also taking the emotion out of it is is good it's an emotional sport. We do it because we love it and we care. So to just have black and white conversations, make it about the game, make it about what you want as a head coach, I think is a, is a real strength of hers. And we all know that the, the, the key to it is she walked in the door and had respect the minute she walked in because players knew she was a winner. And that ultimately that's all they want to do is win. How do you think, Casey, she's developed this side? As Molly pointed out, it hasn't been that long, but the results have been good. Has there been a technical or tactical development from your point of view? I'm a realist, if I'm honest as well. I think all the teams we've played, we should have beat. You know, there's not not many top, top, top tier one oppositions that England have faced and, you know, and... and in recent times. So, you know, when they come up against the France, potentially even Denmark, Germany, Spain, I think they're going to be interesting tests. But, you know, I think obviously the the Arnold Cup was the biggest test, really. She's got them way more organised. She's very trusting in her bench as well. Their players are coming on and adding value and changing games. Personally, I like to see Leah Williamson at centre-back because there's not many centre-backs that can break lines with passes like she can. And I think that's an added tool 
for England. Um, and then you can get kind of another ball player. You, you've got another ball player in the midfield as well then. So I think they're very organised. I think they attack well at times. Um, you know, she's she's trusting in, in players like Mary Oates coming back in and being number one. And when I was Manchester United manager, she got left out and we had to kind of really build her back up and pick her back up because it was a difficult time for her. So really pleased to see her back in and you know, I think she's got a really good group. I'm glad she kept Jill Scott in the squad. I think Jill is absolutely vital in that squad, not just off the pitch, but on it too, in terms of the experience that she brings, the major tournament experience, um, the, the character piece around the young players as well. So, yeah, it's... Uh, She's, I think she's building it. I think they're, they're showing they can score goals and, and obviously they're, they're way more organised. OK, we're going to delve into, I think, the, the team. You mentioned Leah Williamson there. Before we move on to that, though, I just wanted to answer this question on expectation with England, which we always seem to do, right? And Gregor, I'm going to start with you on, on this one. Um, how much do you think is fair expectation to be placed on this team? They were semi-finalists four years ago. They're in a group, as Casey mentioned, alongside Austria, Norway and Northern Ireland. I think it is fair. I think they're in. they're also in a group of probably half a dozen teams that you would say are favourites all of them you know there's not a lot between them and the the sort of development and growth of the, of the WSL in the last few years it's the best pretty, pretty much well regarded as the best league in the world might not have won, you know a team has won the Champions League yet but you see you've seen the kind of progression in the last few years um, and just some of the young players emerging too are just been thrilling to watch uh, now I'm sure we're going to come on to speak to them but Lauren Hemp is just, she's she's someone who just gets you off your seat. And um, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to watching her. Um, but I just think that it is it is justified. It's a little bit more justified. And we've had these conversations before with England. It's more justified than the I men's I feel it is. I mean, they've, they've done it over a period of time and, and there's been improvement since then as well. So it's kind of, and it's a home tournament. I feel it is justified, yes. If you look at the rankings with the sixth best European team if you look at it that way and you, we go back to that kind of English kind of arrogance that maybe we have you look at it that way and you think yeah actually we need to pipe down a little bit but <laughs> but I actually think you know we went through that pretty tough time after the 2019 World Cup with, with the way Phil departed and then we had that really strange interim period under um, Hegarisa and I think it has taken England a while to recover from that and I think in that sense, again, the timing of this tournament comes at quite a good time. You know, we're on the up, we're not on the way down. And I think I think you're completely right, Gregor, that there's probably five or six teams that are pretty even at the top. But I think Serena and I think the home advantage combined can be enough to take us over that. You know, I'm sure we'll, we'll get to it later on, but the draw means that we get Spain or Germany most, most likely in the quarterfinal. We could easily lose that quarterfinal. If we win that quarterfinal, I think we go on and win the whole thing because I think it would give us such confidence to to beat one of those teams. <laughs> it's a bit, it's a bit me on the, on the fence, but also I think it could go one of two ways. In a sense, you know, if we go out of the quarterfinal stage, it's like God, that's such a. It feels like it's only just begun in a way. You know, it'd feel like a big missed opportunity, but. You know, Germany and Spain are both fantastic teams. It's just the luck of the draw, isn't it? I think. Okay. Uh, 
I think Millie makes a great point there, and that England are on the way up, and there are problems in the camp. You know, France have got some major issues in their camp. There's all the question marks. Spain missing the top scorer, and they've they've never beaten uh, Germany, France, or Sweden, and you know they're they're on quite an upward curve too. But yeah. there's, there's a lot of lot of kind of question marks around them as well. Um, so I don't think there's any you know out and out favourite. Which means that England's kind of progression over the last year certainly throws them right to the top of that pile, I think. Time to wax lyrical about some of the, the key stars in this England squad. We might as well. You mentioned Lauren Hemp a few moments ago. Start oh. with her. Sensational. What can we expect for her during this tournament, Molly? I'm going to leave that to Gregor because I was going to start moaning about this Leah Williamson problem that oh, no, Casey we're gonna, mentioned. We're so. going to get to Leah Williamson. Don't so worry about I'll, that. I'll let Gregor say nice things first. <laughs> I mean, as someone who played fullback, just watching her, the way she can drive inside as well. Mm-hmm. It was always the worst thing as a defender is knowing. You know, if you've got someone who's, although she is pretty much one-footed, she can still, she has the pace and directness that she can just kind of drive inside with the ball as well and weave past players kind of echoes of like a young Ryan Giggs in, at times I think she's remarkable so yeah she's everyone is saying she's going to be the breakout star that brings pressure in itself but she's you know from seeing interviews and, and Molly will know, know her more than me I think she but she seems someone who is ready to take that in her stride actually I think she's quite shy to be honest she's, she's not keen on everything else but I think that almost works in her favour because she just focuses on the football she's not one that's about to get carried away with you know hype and expectation she's not really like that um, so yeah I think she's as you say she, get, she gets us off out off our seats in the WSL let alone let alone um, for England and I think actually someone else that I want to mention that I think is massively massively underrated and I don't really understand why is Kira Walsh um, in midfield for me she's the first name on that team sheet because I don't think there's anybody else if Kira Walsh got injured England would have a massive issue I think if Lauren Hemp gets injured maybe you wouldn't have someone quite as good as Lauren Hemp but you have other wingers that could do what she does if Kira Walsh gets injured then we don't <laughs> we, we, you know midfield yeah. isn't really an area of strength for us at the moment and I think you know she's only 25 but she's been a mainstay for, for England and Man City for so many years now and I think she probably got like a lot of criticism in 2019 she she said that she didn't really enjoy that tournament actually because of the amount of abuse and stuff that she got I think she's matured a lot over the, over the last three years and I think if Kira Walsh has a good tournament, regardless of who she ends up pairing with in midfield, that could be the difference for England because it's all well and good us getting excited about Lauren Hemp and we saw Ellen White in the 2019 World Cup. But ultimately, as Casey said earlier on, you need to be able to defend well. And I think for us, our defence probably isn't our strong point, so it's important to have a midfield that's able to support them. And I think Kira plays such an important role in that. Do you agree, Casey? Yeah, I do. And I think the fact that she plays almost as a single six for Man City gives you the flexibility to play a single six with England. She's used to playing in there on her own. She can dictate the game. She's an unbelievable passer of the ball to get us going forward as well. So, you know, I think she she does go, you know, probably gets too much criticism, which is really harsh. That is also the nature of the beast now. The more eyes we have on the game, the more criticism you're going to get if you don't perform. So you're kind of a victim of your own success there. But yeah, she's, she's vital. Vital, absolutely vital and it's it's getting the balance of that midfield right and I think Molly's right I think 
it's going to be our defence and how organised and how hard that we are to beat because I think we do still give up too many chances and against top, top opposition, they're going to take them. And, you know, I think that's that's key. We we know we've got so much strength in attacking areas. You can always put three on and change three at any point in the game. Um, but, yeah, I think you're right. If you lose Kiri, England would have a big problem. I mean, this all, all hints at England not having an exact best starting 11 and we'll come back to those two words Leah Williamson the captain uh, midfielder or defender because that's essentially um, the, the workings of that team will revolve around where she's selected um, Casey where do you think she should be playing it's really fascinating actually because I played with Leah at Arsenal and I'm going back quite a few years now when I actually said to her I think it was around 2014-15 I had a conversation with her and I said if you're going to play for England I believe you're a centre-back because she was kind of flip-flopping between midfield and centre-back then and I, I was I thought she was an excellent centre-back because of her ability to break lines with passes the way she can take people out of the game yeah you know defensively still work to do um, but is reads the game really well at times um, so for me centre-back all day long um, really calm really assured brings a presence to the team at such a young age so I wouldn't play her anywhere else I think it's a really complicated issue that I mean she disagrees yeah, yeah, she doesn't want. Okay to disagree. No. It all starts you know nicely, Casey. You see, you'll be round by then. <laughs> Do you know what? I I'm very torn about it because I quite like the idea of Kira Walsh in a double pivot in midfield. In a sense of, I think our defence is our weakness, and I worry that against top nations we're going to get exposed. So in that sense, I like the idea of having a more defensively minded midfielder. But Leah hasn't really been playing that defensively-minded midfielder that she did when she was at Arsenal, when she was coming through, where, where Casey will remember. She was telling us that Serena actually likes her to play more sort of box-to-box and in some periods of those warm-up games, she was almost playing as a 10 at times, which I, I don't think is the, the best thing to get the best out of Leah Williamson. I think the problem for me is if you play her at centre-back, which she did against Switzerland, and it was so bizarre when we went out to Switzerland because... It completely ruined the balance of the entire back four because it meant that you broke up Bright and Greenwood who have had a decent partnership. Obviously, remember, you've already lost the kind of Bright-Horton partnership that's been with England for a long time. And I'm not saying that was the best thing in the world because I don't think it was. But you've already lost that. So you've got the kind of new partnership of Bright and Greenwood. But then if you play Leah at centre-half and you assume that you want to play bright with her, then you're playing Greenwood at left-back, and Greenwood hasn't played left-back all season. She's been kind of a revelation at centre-back with Man City. So then you're moving Greenwood out of position to accommodate Williamson, and it's like, I'm not quite sure that that's the right thing to do. And then you come back to the point that she's made this very bold decision to make Leah captain, but is Leah in your strongest team? And that might be a... A controversial thing to say. I personally, I play the double pivot against big teams. Like you know, when you in that quarterfinal with Germany, Spain, I play Leah and Kira in the double pivot to just literally mean that you can have those four attackers attack and not have to worry about that defensive responsibility against the kind of smaller team. I don't know. I feel like you have to play Leah. Let's ask the you coach. The Let's ask the coach here, Casey. It's, it's Casey versus Molly. First episode. Uh, which, which? My other question would be. Is why can't you pair Greenwood and um, Williamson at centre back? I was going to say Bright which or... which centre back yeah, would you get rid of? Would you get rid of Bright? I think Alex has been outstanding this season at centre back. So 
it would be, you know, the hard part is you're going into a tournament now, if you played them two together, you haven't got that partnership because they haven't played together. So that's the hard part and you're putting a new partnership in there. I think that probably would have been the partnership I would have looked at because they can both play. They give you left foot and right foot balance. Alex has showed that she can really defend this year. They're both calm and assured on the ball. They'll get you up. And also Alex gives you the ability to get up the pitch with her range of pass as well. And I think it's more accurate than Millie Bright's. I think when you play Millie and Alex, Millie's playing on the right as well. And, and for Chelsea, sometimes she's played on the left. She's, you know, she's kind of, and obviously in a back three predominantly for Chelsea rather than a back four this year, which is a different shift um, to be able to play in, in a back three in a, compared to a back four. So yeah, I my, my favourite partnership looking at form and, and the way they play would have been Williamson and uh, Greenwood at the back. Okay, one other question. I want to, do you want to come back on that, Molly? I was just going to say I completely agree that we just haven't seen it. It's like we've run. Mm. It's like that's what I think threw me off in Switzerland. I was like flipping neck. We've got Leah Williamson at centre back, and now everyone's moving around, and we haven't. We've like run out of time to trial all of these partnerships. Like I think it would have been worth seeing if Green, Greenwood and Williamson worked, but now it's like, do you risk doing that in a tournament when you haven't really done it before? Come on, it wouldn't be England at a major tournament if we didn't get into that first game, not knowing what the exact 11 would Talking be. Talking about midfield pivots. This is it, this is it. You know, you want to have those debates on the day of the first game of a major tournament, obviously. Um, there is another player that I wanted to ask you all about, Frank Kirby and what her role might be for England during this tournament because of course she took that time off she says I'm back I'm ready to go she's told us about the specialist she's been seeing and being in an oxygen tent and all of those things I think she is a wonderful player she can be a game changer for England I'd love to see her from the start in, in all of these games but do you think given her time out Serena Wiegmann will put her straight back in? I think with Fran it's about managing her because we know She's got this ongoing fatigue issue and although it kind of came to a head in February, she's had it for several years of her career and I think, you know, it's it's almost a bit like Ellen White in a sense that she's an older player and won't be able to play every game or I don't expect she'll play, you know, 90 minutes of every game. I don't think you, you need to be playing Fran 90 minutes of every game either. It's actually been a bit frustrating watching Fran for England because I don't think we've ever quite got the best out of her. I think... Chelsea is almost built around Fran and she has so much freedom in those forward positions, whether it's with Sam Kerr or Penilla Harder, that there's a real free kind of forward line there. And England is a lot more structured and, you know, rightly so at international level, you don't really have the ability to build your team around one player and nor is it right to do so. But I think Fran has kind of played in, in midfield a bit for Serena, which I don't think is a best position I think Fran has spoken about been quite a difficult transition to what she's used to kind of having a lot more discipline required um, to be in that midfield role and I suppose also with fatigue issues that's kind of more to ask of yourself as well it's more of a physical role than what she'd be used to so personally I'd like to kind of see her as a number 10 I think Ella Toon who who obviously Kate she knows very well from, from Man United has had a fantastic season I think it's again it's a it's a real strength for England that squad depth that they have and I think those two can be players that can rotate and I think if if Fran can have a couple of games and there's no adverse effects and she feels good because you have to remember how quick the games come in a tournament as well if she's feeling okay then yeah in a big game you want her starting because of just the quality and the talent that she has but 
the most important thing is that Fran is fit, she's healthy and that she's able to play because we don't want to push her too far. We've seen we've seen what happens if we do that. Casey, what do you think her role will be during this competition? Yeah, I think she'll play as that higher midfield, almost in that 10 space underneath the number nine. I think with Fran, that the balance you need to get is she needs to, when she's not been playing, she's better when she gets more games under her belt, but it's balancing that actual playing time. Because what you want is you get into the knockout stages and she's got good rhythm, momentum. She's got confidence under her belt. I think we've seen major tournaments before where she's gone in and she's not been fit um, in terms of game time and she's had to build through the tournament to be able to do that so I think she needs minutes I think she needs to play but I think you're looking at probably a 60 minute mark of putting her on taking her off she might not play every game in the group stages because um, she is a special talent she can unlock defences you know, she can go behind you she can play in front of you as a centre-back she was a, a nightmare to play against because she's got pace as well you know and, and intelligence so you you want to you want her in between the lines you want her with the ability to run beyond if a nine comes off to feet so I think she needs to play to get rhythm but we need to like I think Molly's right you need to manage those minutes really carefully to get the very best out of her 
in the same group as England are Northern Ireland. And I wanted to quickly speak about their manager, Kenny Shields, who has been in some hot water recently, it's fair to say. You've written a profile of him in The Times, and I wondered what you've uncovered. I mean, a lot. <laughs> where, to, where to start? He is a colourful character. He always has been someone who's who's kind of, whose highest point in management until now uh, was, was winning the League Cup with Kilmarnock. Uh, I think it was 2012. And he's someone who's had... His career has been touched and life has been touched by tragedy on a number of occasions. He, in 1990, um, his brother was tragically shot on the family farm by the by the IRA in what was a, a case of mistaken identity. After that that final at Hamden with Kilmarnock, one of Kilmarnock's midfielders, Liam Kelly, his father had a heart attack at the final whistle and so it kind of completely tainted their their achievement and and as a manager of Derry City as well he had two huge tragedies a, a, a player Josh Daniels who lost uh, five members of his, members of his family in a in a tragedy and the 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 captain as well Ryan McBride who they played a game on uh, one night and the next night he he died in his sleep and the the reason I'm highlighting these things is he's been praised for the way he's led the football club with real dignity through those periods so that might that might clash with the perception we have after everyone knows what he said a, f- a few months ago about women being more emotional than men and kind of connecting that between losing, conceding goals consecutively. What was instructive after that was the speed with which Northern Ireland's captain and you know on behalf of the players came out and said, we know Kenny, he's a good man, he's, he's done so much for us here. And they came out and backed him. And that was unprompted by the IFA, I understand. So it's not the first time either. When he was sat by Kilmarnock, which was only nine months after uh, winning the Cup, one of the reasons cited by Kilmarnock in the statement was (laughs) repeated uh, run-ins with the SFA and touchline bans. He kept getting touchline bans for falling out referees, falling out with the old firm. He's quite loose-lipped. And emotional as well. All the people I spoke with, I've kind of they use that word actually. He's mm. a really emotional guy, and that's got that's got its upside and it's got its downside. And we've seen the downside, but the upside is also that he's created a real kind of bond with the players and and the teams. All the teams he's worked for with, I've really I kind of found out. Um, actually, I spoke to Lee Johnson, uh, the who's now the, the Hibs manager, who a lot of listeners would know from who's the former Bristol City and Sunderland manager. He played for Michael Marnock and he he didn't do this in an unflattering way, but he, he said he's a bit Ted Lasso. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you know, he said not in a bad way, but he, he's got kind of unusual methods and, you know, ways of trying to get the most out of his team. And it's worked. What to say has worked. What he's achieved is remarkable. They hadn't won a game in, in four years before he got the job, uh, the Northern Ireland job. And... The you know they're the lowest lowest ranked team in the competition. I think I think they've got still only got three full time professionals. It's an you know not a nice league, an amateur league. So what he's done is remarkable. And yes, he's he's a bit unconventional. What he said in 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 April was uh, you know rightly kind of condemned, but I, it didn't diminish his standing among the players, and and they will be fighting for him this summer. Yeah, it's fascinating. I think how kind of it was. It was quite strange, kind of, to give a, a kind of media insight of all this that we kind of sat in the press conference and and all of the English journalists that travelled was like, what on earth did he just say? And the Northern Ireland journalist just like completely brushed it off because it was just a completely like 
yeah, that's just Kenny Shields. Like, you know, that's yeah. that's that's just how he is. And yeah, I think he's he's hugely well respected in the country, but but more so I think, as Gregor says, the the achievement to get this tournament that they've been in a full time camp since the start of the year. I think pretty much all of them. It's the first time a lot of them have ever been professional footballers. And they won't be professional footballers after this tournament ends. They'll go back to, you know, there's an undertaker, there's a B&Q worker, you know. And these players are going to go up against, you know, England. And, and we see how professional the Women's Super League is. And I think for them, you just hope... I suppose in the group, they can they can look at it and go, you know what, we've played England and we've played Austria in World Cup qualifying. And I think it'll have given them a good taste. And I think we saw the first time we played them. They can sit back and defend. I think the problem is their fitness because they wasn't full time. I think it kind of got to that 60 minute mark period and, and the quality just told. So I think for them, they'll want to keep the score lines down. They'll just want to do a good job and be proud of themselves for getting here and I think that will be more important than you know where they finish in the group almost for them looking forward to seeing them as well before we go I want to discuss some of the other favourites for the tournament of course we need to the bookmakers putting Spain out in front followed by England but then France the Netherlands Sweden and Germany Casey let's start with Spain a lot of people saying this is their their golden generation what makes them so good obviously I, I signed a Spanish player at fullback on a that year and she's a fantastic player I think the fact that so many of them play for the same team in Barcelona so they've already got those kind of ready-made connections they were so good in 2017 when we, I know we won 2-0 but I, we barely touched the ball you know, the way they manipulate you as an opposition I think where they've struggled is they can really use the ball well and they've struggled in the final third in terms of having a real centre forward that can score goals can go beyond can be a target I think they've possibly now got that you know Lucia Garcia is a very good good player I think she can score goals my question mark around Spain is their ability to be able to defend especially if they push their full backs high and they leave their centre backs isolated I think at top top level they get exposed so if they can tighten that up they are right up there for me as as tournament favourites France Wendy Renard and co Gregor what are you expecting from them? I mean, reading doing some research about France was was enlightening. It's <laughs> the the relationship the manager uh, Corinne Diacre has with with the players is sketchy to say the, to say the least. I think some of them are saying, "Why, you know, how is she still our manager?" I'm reading one nickname they have is Coco Virus. I don't know if that's going to be allowed, <laughs> but they're uh, yeah, it's it's not a good atmosphere, shall we say? But they have they still have some great talent. You know, a lot of players who who play for. Uh, Leon and Marie Antoinette Catoto. Uh, she she wasn't even picked for the World Cup, and that was like baffling in itself. And she's done the same this this time with with a couple of their biggest players. But now she's kind of she's she's in the squad, and they're she's, they're going to build a team around her. So it just all seems very sort of swinging from one thing to the next. And and as I, you know, a lot of people are actually saying, oh, despite all the talent at the disposal, it could really fall apart in pretty pretty uh, dramatic fashion. So it'll be very interesting to see France this year. I dare to say it's just France at a major tournament well, yeah, in any yeah. sort of <laughs> say that, but... <laughs> What about the Netherlands then? Defending champions, Molly, England beating them heavily in a, in a warm-up game. Can we read anything into that? Not really. I think that they... 
I think Mark Parsons, who's obviously the the English head coach of the Netherlands, actually that was a really bizarre game that we were we were wearing our away kit, which is basically a Netherlands kit. Mm. They were wearing their home kit, which is white. Um, obviously, we had a Dutch manager and they had an English manager. It's all a bit strange, <laughs> but they were earlier in their kind of warm up camp than we were. Um, which I think is a bit of an explanation of why those late goals went in and changed that scoreline a little bit. I think they do have some fantastic players, you know, Vivian Miedema. I mean, any team that has Vivian Miedema in, he's going to cause you problems. I think they're probably more in a transition phase. Obviously, they did so well under Serena in 2017, but also in 2019, you know, I think that's forgotten a little bit getting to a World Cup final and they gave America a a good game. And I think they are in a bit of a transition phase. I think they're probably, I wouldn't say they're like out and out, they're probably in that sort of secondary group. And I think if Viv has a good tournament, that can elevate them into somebody that can go on and win. Um, But they are in a group with Sweden, who I think for me are probably my favourite if I had to pick one team out of that group. Uh, the group of favourites is because we've mentioned all of these teams we've mentioned England have got question marks over their defence Spain have got question marks over going forward France are just France Germany are missing a few midfielders Um, Sweden are just the best all-round team I think Sweden were always the dark horses when it came to tournaments and I think they've they deserve more respect than that now. They they got the silver medal in the Tokyo Olympics and actually they, they should have won that game. They were the better side. They obviously lost on, on penalties to Kanda. I think they've got some fantastic individual players. You know, Magda Eriksson at Chelsea is a, a fantastic centre-back. Again, probably a little bit underrated. You've got Stina Blackstenius, obviously, who's, who's recently joined Arsenal. Fridolina Rolfo from Barcelona. So you've got these fantastic individual players but they're also a fantastic group and I think for me that is probably what makes them that little bit better and now they've got that experience as well how how disappointed they were after the Olympics and I think I wouldn't be at all surprised if Sweden topped that group which I think the bookmakers probably have the Netherlands as, as topping that group because they're the defending champions, but I think Sweden have a have a really good chance there. So Molly Hudson officially tips Sweden for the Euros, yeah? Yeah, go on, I've okay. said it. All right, all right. <laughs> um, Casey, who are you tipping? I do think it's going to come down to that quarterfinal. If England can get out of their group and it's either Germany or Spain, I think whoever wins that quarterfinal, I think Molly's right, will we'll go on to win it. I'm not, not back in Sweden. I've got a player in that camp, so I want Sweden to do well. I just don't know how if they've got enough creativity um, in this tournament. But yeah, I do think England, Spain or Germany. And I I do really rate Spain. I think it could be their time. So, but my heart's with England, obviously. We, we haven't really spoken about the Germans. I, I didn't mean to dismiss them out of hand. Do you, do you believe they could win this tournament, Casey? I think you can never count Germany out because they know how to win. I think they've obviously been through quite a big transitional phase. Um, since probably 2015 really up until now but a lot of their young players now have got quite a lot of caps I don't think you can count them out but I think who, whoever tops that group and comes out and plays in that 
um, quarterfinal and uh, Spain top it, where did you, what happens to Germany? So, yeah, I think they've got a chance. You can't count them out, but they're not the Germany of old. Let's put it that way. Okay, so you'll come to know the rules of this podcast, okay? I very rarely let people sit on the fence, but because I respect you so much and it's your debut, you're allowed, okay? But Molly Hudson didn't sit on the fence. She said Sweden. Gregor Robertson, I will not allow you to sit on the fence. Who are you going for? I'm going for Spain. Yeah. And so that, that, that means, you know, bad things for England I think <laughs> but yeah look they're they're a pretty irresistible story they're kind of their development and they could have I think they could have about seven players from the Barcelona team in their in their starting lineup, and their rise has been remarkable they're missing their top their, their all time top scorer uh, Jenny Hermoso and it is going to be a bit of pressure I saw the, some quotes from the managers recently just saying like this isn't normal we've not achieved anything I think they've only reached three euros before this this point I think um, they haven't got past the quarter final stage right, yeah. I think before five major tournaments in all so this is quite a recent you know I think there was a gap of about 16 years between 97 and and then reaching one at 16 years from that what was the day <laughs> anyway they're, they're not this is a very recent kind of yeah. uh, surge and it has been really built on the back of Barcelona's uh, development so they're going to be a fascinating team to watch and they're, look their favourites for a reason Okay, England versus Austria, the opening match at Old Trafford, the curtain raiser. I think we're all looking forward to it. Casey, how do you want to see England play? How would you go into this match and what do you think would happen? Being really front foot attack, I think potentially a two or three nil scoreline to build confidence, not being disrespectful to Austria, but we should be taking that game to Austria, um, setting up with a real attacking formation. I'd love to see Lauren Hemp on one side and Beth Mead on the other and um, even Alessia Russo in the nine and go really go for it and potentially play two tens and get, get, get goals early and get the game one. Okay. Molly? You, you raised your eyebrows at Alessia Russo. No. Um, do you know what? I think, uh, as I kind of touched on earlier, I don't think Ellen White is going to be able to play every game. And I think, you know, we had a lot of fun on this podcast in 2019 talking about Ellen White and all the goals that she scored. But I don't think it's fair to expect her to do that in this tournament. And I think Alessia Russo has actually really impressed in these warm-up games. She hasn't had much of a chance really for England because she's still so young. But, yeah, I think it could it could be a game to... I, I just think it's the opener they'll go for experience I think Serena will go for experience um, but yeah Casey's right I think you know we need to be we need to be scoring a few goals I think what we need to not do is get frustrated because we only beat Austria 1-0 in the in the qualifier um, the semis in, in 2017 as well yeah they're, they're not a bad team they're, they don't have the star quality that, that some of the teams have but you know they've got Arsenal goalkeeper Manuela Zinsberger so we need to not get frustrated, and I think an early goal would be huge for England. Yeah, no, I thought we just wouldn't discount them. They, they they had a good qualifying campaign. They drew against France. You know, fixation on England. <laughs> that's that's the way, isn't it? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> but, but you know, I think I think it will be a test. Um, but they, look, England walking out, I packed out Old Trafford, um, and you know, feeling the wave of support from the nation. Yeah. I think it's going to be. I think I wouldn't. I would expect a positive start, definitely. Yeah, yeah. But listen, a healthy win would be superb, just to start the tournament off with a bang. Uh, we will react to everything that we see. Of course, we will on Wednesday at Old Trafford. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Uh, it is an England win. We'll look ahead to uh, the ne- uh, excuse me, Northern Ireland's first game uh, in the tournament as well. But remember, there is loads of great content for you on the Times app right now. Uh, check out a wonderful piece. We.
we get up close and personal with the England squad. I can't reveal too much about it, but just check it out. It will be out on Wednesday. Is that right, Molly? Yes. Uh, and you'll also be able to read a full preview of the tournament on the Times app from Wednesday as well. Check it all out. Thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. Casey Stoney, Molly, Gregor, thank you for being with me. I will see you all on Thursday. Thursday. 